You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Amen, church. Let's praise God today. The tomb is empty. He's alive. So glad that you're here today, and I, I hear that there are some folks in the overflow room, so we are thankful that you guys are over there worshiping as well. And man, I love Easter, and I love all the traditions that kind of come along with Easter. I don't know about your family, but uh, we have a lot. I know we, do, we dye the eggs and over the weekend, and then after Easter services, we go to my mom's house. She makes a huge spread of food, right, and we eat, and it's even better than Thanksgiving, and After that, if it's nice outside, we'll usually go outside and take pictures and take pictures of the kids and they absolutely hate that, right? And uh, we do it anyway. And, and then we do, we hide the eggs and they run around and they can see who can find the most eggs and stuff. And so it's all fun. And uh, the greatest part is just being around family, you know? And then after that, we'll go to my in-laws house. And so my, my mother-in-law, she'll make a huge dinner. And so we'll eat again and uh, we'll, we'll do the eggs again, except for this time at her house, she puts money in the eggs. And so I play at that point, right? I'm in this game. It's a little bit more competitive, and, uh, but no, it's fun. And man, the Easter traditions are just great. And uh, a, a lot of things that, you know, that we look at as far as tradition, sometimes we don't quite understand. It's like, you know, why are we doing this? And, you know, where does it come from? I mean, when you think about Easter and when you think, you know, that the average American kid kind of grows up expecting on Easter the Easter bunny to bring him or her a basket filled with toys and candy, you're kind of like, what does that have to do with Jesus, right? Like what does the Easter bunny and baskets and food and and eggs have to do? But really it kind of happens all over the world because everyone all over the world is celebrating Easter today. And and, uh, there are several countries that have some really weird traditions. Um, For example, in Poland, they celebrate Easter with a tradition called Smingus Dingus, right? Promise, that's what they call it. And essentially what they do is they, the, the boys take buckets of water and then they, they douse people with water. Like here's an image of, of that. I don't, I don't know why, but this, this is their tradition. And the, the legend says that the girl that gets soaked the most will wind up getting married that year. And so if you're single ladies and you're not planning on getting married, do not go to Poland today. Do not do it. Um, In the south of France, they have a really weird tradition as well. To celebrate the risen Savior, they create a giant omelet. (laughs) Take a look at this picture. Like literally, almost 5,000 eggs into this omelet to celebrate Easter. And so we, we look at these traditions, we look at even our own traditions, and it's a little weird. Like why and, and what do bunnies and omelets and pouring water on people have to do with Jesus. And, and I think, you know, the celebration is always part of the festivities, right? How we celebrate today, how we celebrate Easter, it's not necessarily bad. I mean, whether you're, you know, finding eggs or, or you know, dumping water on people, it's all great. I think the danger though, is when we end up focusing more on that stuff and, and we lose sight of our faith and, and really why we're even here today. And isn't that the danger of all traditions? I mean, I, I'm kind of a traditionist. I love traditions and stuff like this, but, but there are things that we do and that if we don't understand them, it, it by and large just doesn't mean anything to us. 
And I don't want us to come to church today out of tradition and, and, and think that you know, we're, we're here and, 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 and not really understand why we're here. I, I get it. Some of you were invited by friends or maybe a family member brought you here and so that's kind of why you're here. But, but I think I would be doing you a disservice today if I didn't really explain a little bit of what we're actually celebrating here on Easter. Because if, if you don't understand what the empty tomb means, then you'll live an empty life. And I don't want you to live an empty life. And I've talked to enough people to know that every Sunday we have people in the room that are are far from God and they feel an emptiness inside their heart. I mean, they kind of look around at their job, they look at their family, they look at, you know, their financial situation and they're kind of looking at everything. And at the end of the day, all of those things won't fulfill you. And at the end of the day, you'll, you'll ask, is this it? Is, is this all that this life is really about? And so I think it's good to kind of slow down a little bit because typically our pace is so fast, we don't always think about the important things in life. And, and that, that, that really gives us an opportunity today to, to recognize that if you are empty today, if there is an emptiness in your heart today, it ultimately kind of leads to sadness, doesn't it? I mean, em- empty things usually bring sadness. I'll be honest with you, when, when the, the jar of Pringles is empty, there is sadness in my heart, right? You go to the pantry and it's like, who ate my Pringles, right? But we all know the worst. Like the worst is when you make a bowl of Captain Crunch and then you open the fridge and the, the jug of milk is empty. Oh, I hate that, right? Empty things bring frustration in life. Empty things bring sadness in our life. And, and, and some of you are in fact experiencing that today, but The reality is, I believe that because the tomb is empty, your heart and life doesn't need to be empty any longer. Because when we follow Jesus, he fills our heart with joy, with hope, and yes, salvation. And so what we're celebrating today is in fact this reality that Jesus died on a cross, but on Easter, he physically rose from the grave. We believe that the tomb is empty. And really, no one you know, argues that a little over 2,000 years ago, even secular historians will, will admit that a little over 2,000 years ago, a brand new community of believers in, in a religion was birthed. Like all of a sudden, hundreds and hundreds of people started claiming that a guy named Jesus rose from the grave. It wasn't just the 12 disciples that saw Jesus resurrected after his death. It wasn't like some guy was walking down the road and he saw a cloud that kind of looked like Jesus and said, I think he's alive. No, Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people. And then after this resurrection, thousands upon thousands of people are giving their life to Christ and they're starting things called churches. And it just begins to take over and spread like a wildfire. And they're claiming that Jesus rose from the grave even when it would cost them their life. A guy by the name of Paul was one of the early church uh, fathers and he wrote much of the New Testament. And in one of the letters that he wrote to the church, what we find in our scripture is that he says that over 500 people saw the risen Savior. And he says that some of them are still alive. So to the people at that day, what he was saying was, there, there are 500 people that saw Jesus, they ate with him, they drank with him, they talked with him. They saw the, 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 the scars in his hands from the, the, the cross. Go talk to them. You know, go, go hear their eyewitness account. And as a result, like people were responding in droves. And I think the reality is when you hear a story about a guy that dies, he's buried for three days, 
and then he rises from the grave, like when we hear that, it really requires that we respond in some way. It requires some kind of response. It requires a, a change in, in, in our demeanor and in, in, in how we approach him. We can't just ignore that fact or that reality or that story. Think of it like this. If you were to go to the doctor and God forbid, he were to give you the prognosis that you have six months to live. I mean, that would change everything, wouldn't it? That would change your perspective on life, the things that you're doing, what you prioritize. Everything would change with that news, right? Ladies, when you go to the doctor and if he were to tell you that you're pregnant, like you can't ignore that, right? Like you can't pretend that that's not real or that's not a reality. It really changes everything about your perspective and it changes your life. Now, I believe the same is true when it comes to the reality that the tomb is empty. When the tomb is empty, when you hear the story and message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it desires and demands a response from you. And so today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to this. Maybe for the first time ever, you're gonna hear some of these things and something's just gonna click with you. You know, you weren't definitely weren't planning on making any kind of spiritual decision today, but the reality is God is going to begin to move in your life and in your heart, and I'm gonna help you make that decision and lead you in that at the conclusion of this talk. And I'm also gonna give you the opportunity to get baptized today. We have the tubs filled, and we have everything that you need in order to make that decision today. We've got clothes, we've got the towels, we've got all that kind of stuff. The really the choice and the decision is really up to you. Now, some would say, why baptism? Why, why do we even do that? Well, Jesus himself was baptized, and he, he told us uh, that we should be baptized as well as a symbol of the inward commitment that we make. It is an outward public profession to the world saying that, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. And so there's a lot of symbolism in baptism. When we go under the water, we're symbolizing the death of Jesus. And so we too are symbolizing that the old Trent died, like the old me is dead. And then when we come up out of the water, it's a symbol that Jesus rose from the grave and that I am a brand new creation. I'm a new person in Christ. I have a brand new identity. And so that's why Jesus commands us to do that. And you're gonna have the opportunity to do that at the end of, of this talk. Like I'm gonna ask you to act physically get up out of your seats and move to the back of the room where our volunteers will receive you and high five you. They're gonna be so excited to help you in that decision. And so as we think through this today, let me start in Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I wanna read the, 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 the account of the empty tomb today from Luke's gospel. It says this in verse one. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloths that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now imagine this scene. They've just seen Jesus crucified on a cross. They've already anointed his body with the spices of the day. They had some more spices that they were gonna do apparently, but they had already done the majority of that work. They've placed him in a tomb. There was a stone rolled over the entrance. Roman guards were set in front of that so that no one would steal the body. And yet as the women come, they see this stone rolled away and the tomb is empty. 
And then they see an angel, and the angel gleaming, he's not like lightning rods, but it says it was like lightning. So apparently their appearance was bright. And the angel is saying, he's not here. Don't look for the living among the dead. He is risen. Now, if this account is true, then it it, it changes our perspective today. There's some things that, that we need to respond to as a people, as God's creation. And, and I wanna give you a few of these things today. The first thing I would say is if in fact the tomb is empty, then you and I cannot take Jesus lightly. We can't take Jesus lightly today. Like if the tomb is actually empty, if he rose from the grave, then we can't ignore it. We can't just you know pretend like, my business is more important than Jesus. We can't pretend that making money and being successful or doing whatever I wanna do is more important than this man who died for my sins. Like we can't take him lightly. C.S. Lewis, a really famous scholar, uh, once said this, and I'm gonna paraphrase what he wrote, but he essentially said, I don't want anyone to make a really foolish or a really dumb decision and to say that Jesus was a good moral teacher but he wasn't the son of God. He says, you can't really do that if you know anything about Jesus because the things that this guy Jesus said and the things that this guy Jesus did uh, would require a rational person to say that he is either crazy because of the things that he said and things that he did, or he's a liar. Like he just lied about everything that he was saying. Or thirdly, he actually is Lord of all. Now, I think this is beautiful today. I think it makes so much sense because when you know anything about Jesus, when you read about the New Testament, you realize that those are really our choices today. That, that, that's really how we must respond to him. We either call him a, you know, a crazy person and just write him off as, as, as a nobody, or we, we say he must have been lying and so we just ignore him, or we must all change everything that we're doing and make him Lord of our life. Now, perhaps you've taken Jesus lightly. Perhaps it's not that big a deal to you. Perhaps you haven't seen the weight of the cross and the meaning of the resurrection yet. I hope today God begins to open up your heart and your eyes to this reality. I, I, I realize that some of you are here today and, and uh, maybe you went to church as a kid and, and uh, so you kind of have a little bit of a church background. Maybe you were even baptized as a kid, but for whatever reasons, you just kind of grew up and, and uh, you just began to think that the church is just kind of irrelevant. You saw a lot of hypocrites and whatever, and so just kind of turned you off, kind of soured you uh, perhaps from the church. Or, or, or maybe in, in your life, you just kind of read about the church and, 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 and began to kind of buy into this uh, theology that our media is, is really pushing hard today, and that is that, that we're kind of submitting to this theological uh, set of religious beliefs that, that, that politically correct America is the right way to go. And, and, and so, you know, that's just kind of what your theology is. And, and I would just say to you, I'm not trying to create an argument. I'm not trying to dissect your theology. I'm not trying to prove you right or wrong today, all I'm saying is, if the, empty, if the grave is apty, ap, absolutely empty today, and Jesus rose from the grave, then we cannot take him lightly. You need to investigate who he is. You need to experience him through his church, because if he is who he says he is, then it changes everything. Let's consider a few things that Jesus said. This is why we can't take this guy lightly. 
First of all, Jesus said in John chapter six that he was sent from heaven to do God's will. In John chapter six, verse 38, Jesus said this. He said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Just just pause for a minute, all right? How do we respond to that, okay? You came from heaven to do something that somebody sent you from heaven to do? You're, you're, dude, you're crazy, or you're lying, <laughs> or maybe it's true, right? Here's what he says in verse 39. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He's talking about people, his people, but raise it up at the last day. In verse 40, for this is the will of my father. He's kind of reemphasizing the point here. He doesn't want us to miss that the will of the father is that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The point here, Jesus says, is I'm sent from heaven on a rescue mission for my people. Those who would believe in me, I will give to them eternal life. Folks, Jesus was sent on a rescue mission for you and for me. He humbled himself and he left heaven. Can you even imagine? I I can't even imagine what leaving the most brilliant, amazing, glorious, peaceful place in existence would have felt like to come and to live with people like me and experience the same kind of pain, the same kind of suffering that I've gone through and that you've gone through, to face similar temptations that you have experienced and that I have experienced, the rejection, uh, all of these feelings of loneliness Jesus felt, and yet through it all, he never sinned one time. He was perfect. You say, why is he coming and rescuing me? I don't feel like I need rescued. Well, the reality is we've all sinned against God. God had a a perfect plan for our life to live, and we have all rejected that plan, and we all do what we selfishly wanna do. Me, you, all of us. The Bible says that clearly, that we've all sinned, and as a result of that sin in our life, we are not free. We actually live in bondage. We live in bondage to this sin, this desire to do what we wanna do. That's why we say things that are inappropriate and do things that we know are against God's word, and, and, and that desire in us to please ourselves, and that desire to do what we wanna do is so strong, we call it our pride, that it leads us away from God, it destroys our relationship with God, and it also destroys the relationships that we have on earth. And we've all experienced this. We've all experienced the brokenness that sin uh, 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 does and the, and the wreckage that sin causes in our relationships. But let's think about how this breaks our relationship with God for a minute. Because of our sin, God, you know, is, 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 is at odds with us. Our, that relationship is broken. The Bible says that we're enemies of God and God cannot allow sin into heaven. And so, so that's why the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so that wages, that just means a payment. So the payment for our sin that we must pay to our creator is death. And so we die from this earth. But even more than that, what we really wanna focus on as well, if that isn't enough, is the second death that the Bible talks about. We pay God for our sin by dying a second time in a place for all eternity, separated from him in punishment. So when we are seeing and and, and hearing that Jesus is dying on the cross for our sins, what we are seeing is Jesus paying for my sin so that I don't have to pay for it. Jesus is paying God for my sin. Jesus is is doing this on the cross through his death and through his resurrection. And then God is seeing me as I am putting my faith in Jesus. He is recognizing that Jesus is paying for my sin, restoring my relationship with him, and then giving me the hope of heaven. 
Apart from that, we would have to pay for our own sin. So here's the deal. Like, it would be kind of one thing if God would just say, you know what, Trent? Seemed like a good dude. You know what? Don't do it again. Don't mess up anymore. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to let you come into heaven, all right? But when you think about it, that wouldn't be a very righteous or just thing for him to do. Because when we sin against our creator, then punishment is required, right? Think about it like this. If a known rapist and murderer was on trial, he was convicted. But then when it came time for the judge to declare his verdict, the judge said, you know what, man? I think you're really sorry for this. So I'm going to fine you 50 bucks and you better promise me you're never going to do it again. What would you do? Well, that would cause a huge uproar, right? That would be an unjust judge. That would not be the right thing to do. Why? Because a punishment is required for that type of crime, any crime. And so this is why God is demonstrating his love and his justice and that he is punishing sin, but he's also demonstrating his love in Jesus. So this is why Jesus is on a rescue mission for you and for me. So Jesus also makes the claim that he is the only way to God. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Essentially what he's saying here is that there's no way to God unless you know Jesus. Now, obviously, this is extremely controversial in our world today. But when you study all the other major religions in the world, you'll realize that they are all claiming that they are right And they are all claiming that their way is the only way to God. Even religions that say all paths lead to God are essentially saying that you've got to believe this way because this is the right way. But I'm here to tell you very clearly from a biblical standpoint, what Jesus is claiming here is that he is the only way to God, which means he is the only way to heaven. And and, and I I want to tell you, I have committed my life to preach this gospel that there is no hope for you or for me apart from knowing Jesus. There is no salvation, there's no forgiveness, there's no joy in this life, real ultimate joy in this life apart from Jesus. But the great news, probably the greatest news you will ever hear in your life is that Jesus is offering that forgiveness to you today. He's offering you that hope. He's offering to take the emptiness that you're feeling in your heart and in your life, and he is promising that he will in fact fill that void if we will turn from our sin and trust him as Savior. Jesus also made another claim. He said that he was the resurrection and the life. He said that no one, he said the one, sorry, who believes in me will live even though they die. Again, he's either, he's either crazy or he's lying, or it's true. What are you gonna decide today? What have you decided today in your heart? See, the reality is when he says, I'm I'm, I'm coming on a rescue mission, I'm the resurrection and the life here, he's saying if you believe in me, you're gonna live, and even though you're gonna die from this world, you're gonna live with him for all eternity. And this is why Jesus is dying on the cross. He's, he's being nailed to a cross. They, they put a crown of thorns in his head, and then they took a spear and they thrust it in his side so that it went into his heart sack so that water and blood flowed out. Jesus physically died and he was buried for three days. 
And on the third day, he rose victoriously, defeating death so that you and I will defeat death one day if our faith is in him. Defeating sin so that you and I can defeat sin. Because he died, we can live. Jesus also said that if we trust him, that he will give us life to the fullest. So in the scripture I just read, he says, if you believe in me, you're going to live. In John 10, he, said, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And what he means by that is the enemy, Satan, wants to rob you of joy. He wants to steal your, your salvation. He wants to steal everything in your life to, to, to ruin and wreck your life. That's his role. But Jesus comes that he would give you life more abundantly. And so we're not just experiencing this life after this death. We're actually experiencing it today in a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus through prayer, through worship, through God's church. We experience authentic community, a family of God where he grows and develops and we experience his power in our life. This is the life that he's calling us to. And so folks, like, like the emptiness that you might be experiencing today, Jesus is offering you life. So look, if the tomb is empty, we can't take Jesus lightly. But secondly, if the tomb is empty, that means that my priorities have to change. Your priorities have to change if in fact this is true. Because if it's true, then he rose from the dead, which means that he has authority over life, which means that he has authority over death which means that he has authority over sin, which leads to one unavoidable conclusion. That is, he has authority over your life. He has authority over my life. The Bible says that one day every single person will, will bow on their knees and declare that Jesus is Lord. So the question is not whether or not he is Lord. The question is, when will you declare that? In this life, and receive salvation, or after this life when it's too late. Choice is ours. I think if we do claim to follow Christ today, then our priorities have to change. And, and that means your marriage is, is, is a little bit different because we don't just do what we wanna do. We're not just trying to get our spouse to make us happy. We're trying to serve the Lord and we're trying to put others first. It means that our jobs change. It, it means that my, my focus at work changes. It means that I'm not just running after money in this life. It means that God's given me a, a, a different purpose. And so my priorities significantly change when my life is submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of people in America that claim to be a Christian. I think partly because our nation is a Christian nation, so to speak, even though it probably isn't anymore. I'm not here to argue about that, but, but I would challenge you and say that if, if you're just claiming a title just because you think you need some kind of religious identity, you're missing the point. If you're claiming Christianity simply because it makes your mom happy or your wife happy, then you're missing the point today. If Jesus in fact is alive, it means we can't take him lightly. Our priorities must change. And as a result, Here's the bottom line. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Here's what I believe. Here's what our church believes. Here's what we've experienced. And that is this. The tomb is in fact empty. And what that means is you can have freedom. Because the tomb is empty, 
You can have freedom from a life of emptiness, from a life of no joy, from a life filled with guilt, filled with shame, a life that just feels pointless. And and Jesus wants to fill that with his spirit, with his love, and give you hope, give you purpose, give you joy. We have a lot of people in our church that have experienced this freedom in Christ. And one of them is is a girl named Becca. Becca grew up in a home where her dad was a workaholic and he was never around. And because of that, uh, she grew up with this kind of huge hole in her heart. And she tried to fill that with the affection of, of others and, and it really led her to kind of be rebellious against God, to, to make a lot of wrong decisions until she realized that the relationship that she really longed for was with her heavenly father. This is my friend Becca, and she found freedom in Christ, and so can you. Yeah. I've got another friend, his name is Matthew. Matthew's a partner here at Foothills, and not long ago, his dad committed suicide. And after that happened, man, his heart was broken. He felt abandoned, he felt confused. He was dating this girl, proposed to her, she said yes, but Not long after, she left him. Again, feelings of brokenness, loneliness, confusion set in. But listen, God took his brokenness, healed his heart, and he found freedom in Jesus Christ. Folks, this is Matt, and he found freedom from a life of brokenness, and so can you. And this is Stephanie. And Stephanie Stephanie found freedom from a life that was filled with physical abuse, and so can you. And this is Whitney, and she found freedom from insecurity, and so can you. And this is Monty, and Monty found freedom from a life of alcoholism, and so can you. And this is Laura. And Laura found freedom from a life of drug addiction. And my friend, so can you. Man, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus wants to offer to you today. Some of you haven't experienced this. For whatever reasons, you think that following Jesus is a bunch of boring rules that that just kind of box you in in this life and it, it, it couldn't be a bigger lie. When we follow Jesus, man, it is a joy to experience him and and to worship him and to trust him and to follow him. I realize that some of you in here have never made that decision, and I want to help you make that decision. And some of you have never been baptized, and maybe you've kind of made that decision, but you've never been baptized. And my encouragement for you is to make that, that decision today, to follow him. We've got clothes, towels, everything you're going to need to be faithful to God's word today. You know, I want to help you kind of imagine what your life would look like if, in fact, you gave your life to Christ today. Think about how your marriage would begin to change. Think about how your joy and hope would begin to change. If you would stop, you know, just kind of brushing Jesus off and, and really take him seriously today. Think about how your eternal destiny would be and, and, and how it would be fulfilled finally. I want to ask you to bow your heads. In the quietness of this moment, I just want to ask that nobody would leave and that we would realize that like the greatest 
decision, the greatest thing we could ever realize is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and because of that, we can experience freedom. And I wanna help those who have never made that decision to trust him as their Lord and Savior to make that. And I just wanna give you a prayer and you just kinda follow this prayer and just, just act like it's just you and God. And this prayer isn't a magical prayer. It's really just like your first conversation with God. It's, it's really the catalyst that, that takes you to this step of faith. And so just simply say this to God. God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the grave. I confess that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life today experiencing your freedom. I submit my life to you. Now, with everyone continuing to pray and quietness of this moment, I wonder, would there be anyone in here that would just say, Trent, I just prayed that prayer and I I would like to just kind of show you, show God that that is the real deal for me right now. And if you would just slip up your hand and put it back down just so I know if there's anyone in here that did that. Okay, ma'am, I saw you in the back. I see you guys here in the middle. Anyone else? Say, I just did that. I see you in the back there. Anyone else? To my right, to my left. I see hands all over. All right, so several people. How many of you would say, Trent, The reality for me is that I've made that decision, but I've never followed in baptism. And I'm I'm considering making that step today. Who who in the room would just put up their hand and put it back down and just say, that's me today? Hands all over. Wow. All over. Praise God. Anyone else? In the back. I'm looking in the back. see several hands. So several people kind of wrestling with this today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, in just a moment, count to three. We're going to stand up. And when we all stand up, Those of you who have made that decision for the first time, I'm gonna ask you to step out of your seats, go to the back. If you're ready to be baptized today, you step out of your seat, you go to the back. Hey, tell your your family member or your friend that's with you today, hey, will you go with me? They would love to to join you, I'm sure. If everybody, yeah, there's Landon. Everybody look at Landon in the back, looking all handsome today, like always, got a big flashlight. If you're gonna make this decision, I just wanna encourage you when we stand that you just make your way to him and, our volunteers are gonna love on you, man, and encourage you. And, and you're in a room today who wants to celebrate that you are taking steps to Jesus, that Jesus is taking steps toward you today, all right? Because when we go watch UT football and scream, that's one thing. But when we see people taking steps to Jesus, that takes us to a whole nother level of celebration. Amen, church? So we're gonna celebrate you. We're gonna encourage you. Let's stand together on the count of three. Ready, one two, three, let's stand. You make your way to the back if in fact God is working in your heart. If you're experiencing freedom today, maybe for the first time, let's praise God for all these decisions in the back. Some of you guys up here can't even see all these people. Praising God, yeah. Thankful for what God is doing. You can experience that freedom in your life today. Don't leave today without doing business with God. You can always walk back in the back. We're here to help you celebrate Easter in freedom, maybe for the first time in your life. Let's worship Jesus today. 
Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.